0: We'll be reading verses 1 through 11. We haven't been in the Gospel of John for two weeks. We had uh, Bill Buffkins taught while I was gone, and then Steve Cole was here last week. Wasn't that amazing? And uh, I'm not petty, so I wasn't offended that there was 50 hits on the website for his message that was put up Sunday afternoon. Before Monday morning, there was 50 hits on it, which I don't even know, I don't even pay attention to that, but somebody drew my attention to it, but... I'm so not petty that I'm not offended that there's never even two when I... No, I'm kidding. Yeah, yeah, we heard him. We heard him. All right. Um, I'm among friends. Are you among friends? You know, uh, we get to be who we are, but we also want to become the people that God would have us become. Every one of us, you know, we have growing to do, and we have a God who's very interested in helping us grow spiritually. So, Father, we pray that you might minister your grace to us and through us here. And now, as we open your word, we give high value to your word. You said you've lifted your word above your name and honored it. We know that both your character and your personhood and your word are one. There's no deviation for you. You don't have to be asked if you really meant it or what did you say earlier. (laughs) We know that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so, though your word has nuances and direction from earlier times, the clarity that is in Jesus Christ is what we crave and hunger for today. And we pray this in his holy name. Amen. Amen. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, which is Galilee. And in this way, he showed himself. Simon Peter... Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, and two others of his disciples were together. I wonder if those two others are offended through eternity. How can we, what are we, chopped liver? We didn't get our names in there? I don't think they're worried about it. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, well, we're going with you also. They went out immediately got into the boat, and that night, and they did fish at night there on the Sea of Galilee. They caught nothing. But when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, have you any food? Have you caught any fish is basically the idea. And in one translation it says you haven't caught any, have you? (laughs) I don't know if that's correct. I couldn't find it that way. They answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Therefore the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it, and plunged into the sea. He's not running away, he's swimming to shore. But the other disciple came in the little boat, for they were not far from the land, about 200 cubits, dragging the net with fish. Then as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you have caught. And Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to land full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not broken. You see, Jesus had appeared to his disciples uh, in the, as they were gathered together. He It tells us in another place he appeared to Peter personally. It, it tells us that... Uh, uh, he told them that he was going to appear to them in Galilee, go and wait for him there. So they're up in Galilee now. Uh, we, we didn't cover the last two verses of chapter 20, but they go with verse 25 of chapter 21 next week. So we'll save that. But uh, he's revealing himself. To, he's manifesting himself, some translations, which to uncover what has been unseen. And Jesus was revealed. When was Jesus first revealed? As a babe in Bethlehem. Wrapped in strips of cloth called swaddling cloths, that strips of cloth. He was revealed in life as he went about healing and speaking and doing good. and no one ever spoke like him, and no one had the miracle powers that he did. He was revealed. He was revealed on the Mount of Transfiguration when he took James, Peter, James, and John up to this mountain, and his body and his clothing were transfigured. it turned glowing. In glory with Moses and Elijah glowing with him. They didn't break those little things and, you know, (laughs) put them under their faces. It was the heavenly glow. Jesus was kind of like more than ever Superman. Just pull him back to see who he really was. He was revealed to them. He was unveiled a bit to them. Then he was revealed to them when he burst out of the tomb. Out of a tomb in which he was wrapped once again in strips of linen. At birth he came in strips of linen, in death he was wrapped in strips of linen, and he burst out of that tomb. And now he appeared to them, and now he appears to them again in Galilee, and Jesus the Christ continues to appear to reveal himself to his people throughout all history, or you wouldn't be here today. John 14, 21, Jesus said, He that has my commandments and keeps them is he who loves me, and he or she who loves me will be loved of my Father, and I will love him and make myself known, manifest myself, reveal myself to him. You know, when I got saved, one of the things that kept me from saying okay to Jesus, and I was fighting a battle for a few days, a few very, I had this really intense two-week period of time, Because I knew that if I accepted that Jesus was really the Son of God, that there was a Messiah and his name was Jesus, I said, well, I've never believed that. I've been taught not to believe that. You know, My my Jewish heritage tells me that's to be a traitor. And not only that, what else am I going to find out in this Bible that I don't like or don't believe when I start reading it? I mean, I actually knew that. I knew I was going to find things that were contrary to my nature and my personality and my decision-making and my attitudes and feelings. And you know what? I was right. I didn't come up with love your enemy. I had a different approach to that. How about you? That's not natural for me. I'm a fallen man. Ooh, splat. So are you. We're fallen creatures. We are, uh, our outer person is corrupt. And it's not in agreement with the scripture. We aren't surprised when people don't agree with the Bible. You didn't agree with the Bible. Somebody who says, I just believe everything in the Bible, first of all, uh, and people will say that completely without having read much, I go, well, how many people know everything that's in the Bible? Not very many. And it's maybe more accurate to say, uh, and I do say I believe everything, I believe the Bible, but there's a little bit of expression there and explanation there. And, and now I do because I believe even things that I found that troubled me and were difficult for me, things that needed to change. This is bothering me that you're having to look at this over there. <laughs> this might be worse, but <laughs> it's, I feel better about it, okay? So, um, profile, how do you? Okay. <sighs> yeah, I don't take myself too seriously, but I do take this 100% seriously. Don't confuse our humor with being light about Jesus. That's not what it is. Maybe there's a little confusion there. (laughs) But not light about Jesus. He will make himself known to you. But part of that will be when you find things that you don't understand, can't believe, never thought this way. It goes against right where you are, right this minute. And you say, okay, Lord, I'm going to obey you in this to the degree that you show me that direction. And and I face this. I'm going to let you be God. God. Because he's God anyway, but the way he's God in your life is when you let him take authority through his word. So, he's showing himself. He's already revealed himself to these disciples, yet Peter says, I'm going fishing. Now, many people say, and they have a point to the degree they say it, I'm not sure, that he was going back to his old life, kind of giving up in defeat. Possibly. Let me show you why I don't think that's really... You can't make that strong of an absolute case for that. First of all, these other guys go with them. Are they all just defeated? They've seen Jesus in, in Jerusalem. He's talked to them. They went to Galilee to wait for him. So I don't think they're just completely, oh, yeah, he's never going to come and show himself again. It's all over. And it's your fault, Peter, because you denied him. Well, it's your fault because you ran away. You know, it's like, you know, that, that isn't really, there's, they may have lingering fears, doubts, and confusion. And I think they do. But I don't think Peter's just saying, I give up completely. You know, Jesus, Peter's the one that when Jesus said, when all the people left him for what he spoke in John 6, he said, do you guys want to go with them? And Peter said, to whom shall we go? Not where shall we go. To whom shall we go? You, Lord, alone have the words to eternal life. So, so, so for Peter now, after the resurrected Christ has come to him to just give up and go away, I'm not, I don't think that's it. More likely he was impatient... Does that sound like Peter? The day of Pentecost hasn't come yet. He was confused. Does that sound like Peter? Does that sound like anybody you know? Don't point fingers now. (laughs) You know, all of us get impatient. All of us get confused. And is he just doing what he knows to do because he's waiting to kind of work through his issues or what Jesus is going to work through with him? He does what he knows to do. One thing's for certain. Jesus knew where to find them, didn't he? Jesus didn't know where to find them because he lost track of them and used a GPS. Jesus knew where to find them because he always knew where they were, okay? But Jesus knows where to find us. He always knows where we are. He always knows what we're into. And do we recognize him when he reveals himself to us, though? When Jesus reveals himself to you, do you recognize it? They don't at first, Hey guys, any luck? No, you know the whole story. There is amazing honest fishermen, but um, they say no, we haven't caught anything. And and, and Peter says, uh, you know, uh, first of all, that's frustrating. You know, uh, doing what they what they know, what they've always been fruitful doing, what has been doable for them in the past, what has been natural for them. Jesus comes to them in the middle of their. Frustration. Is your attention peaked at all? In the middle of their frustration. He says, children, and it really is an endearing to small children term that unless he was somebody like Jesus or an older person to younger men, this would be a little offensive. Oh, little boys, cute little kiddos. Put your net on the right side of the boat. Now, they're in a boat. That's if they're in the bigger boat, it's no wider than this row of seats here. You know, the that's a bigger boat. So I mean, they've been they, their nets may be down on the left side. Your left, my right, and uh, or they may be back up in the boat. And he says, "Drop your nets over here on the right side of the boat." Now, why did he say the right side of the boat? Um, well, let's go through a deep, detailed analysis to figure out the meaning of right and left. No, do you know why? Because wherever Jesus tells you to drop your nets is the right side of the boat. Whatever Jesus tells you to do is the right direction and the right decision. It didn't matter whether it was right or left. That's there's nothing you can back up with that that would be automatic. Maybe there's, somebody's found something cool about it, but the bottom line that you really can get out of this is whatever Jesus tells you to do is what's fruitful. And so it was stupid by worldly wisdom. Nobody would do such a thing, you know. And, 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 then, and then when this happens, John gets the revelation first it's the Lord! you know, he always got the revelation first, didn't he? Uh, (laughs) It's the Lord, but John just kind of stands there. It's the Lord, and he's kind of that contemplative guy that holds back. He doesn't act out quickly. You know, he didn't go into the tomb. He's a little more contemplative, and for those of you that are that way, a little more timid, a little more careful, you got a great brother named John who was given great revelation and saw things and new things and was loved by Jesus. For those of you that aren't that way, you know, you're more your your theme song is fools rush inward, wise men never dare. Uh, so, you know, um, Peter, as soon as he hears that it's the Lord, I don't even understand that totally. It's like he hears from John that it's the Lord, you know, he gets it, he puts on his outer garment and jumps in the water to go to shore Peter, you know, impetuous Peter some of us are more like that he's the first to speak oh this will never happen to you Lord and the first to say "Uh, though they all forsake you I never will he's the first to pull a sword he's the first to deny that he ever knew the Lord but he's also the first to run to Jesus when he sees him on the shore you know in in Luke chapter 5 you don't have to turn there but in Luke chapter 5, uh, at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, before the disciples are, are, are absolutely solidified as this group of 12 men, it's in process at this point. Jesus is, goes up to the Sea of Galilee. It's where they all live. He says to Peter, how's his boat there? He says, hey, listen, let me get in your boat and push it out a little ways so we can get some uh, acoustic dynamics here and I'm going to speak to the people and he speaks and preaches using Peter's boat. And, then Jesus says, okay, we're done. God bless you all. See you later. And uh, Peter, let's go out to the, it's daytime. Let's go out in the, in the water and get some fish. And Peter says, uh, Jesus, Master, we, uh, we fished all night. Didn't catch anything. Same exact situation. Fished at night, which is when you fish there. Didn't get, and now it's broad middle of the day daylight. And Jesus says, let's go catch some fish. And he says, Master, and here's how some people think he said it. Oh, Master, we toiled and fished all night and didn't catch a thing. But at your word, at your word, I will go and and fish. Like, oh, this is a holy moment. I'm so glad that you're here. I think I can prove from the scriptures that that wasn't his attitude. I, I'm thinking it was more like this. Uh, in his mind, he's saying, man, you're a great preacher, why don't you stick to preaching and we'll stick to fishing because Peter's like he goes, uh, we fished all night but nevertheless, at your word I'll do it kind of like when, when when mama gives papa a job to do around the house oh, well, no. okay, your word you know how the guys are resistant and they go, yeah, that was really the right thing to do at least that's the case in my life. It's, she's pretty smart. She's pretty smart. And uh, I find that I should be a good listener. But um, okay, we'll go. And he goes out. and Well, they catch so many fish that the net's breaking, probably more than even here, because the other boat has to come over and help bail them out and bring the fish in. And when the, Peter sees all the fish that time, he falls to his knees, drops to his knees in the boat and says, Lord, depart from me. For I am a sinful man. If Peter's attitude was at your word, because, oh, God, I believe your word. Oh, I'm so into your holy word, and I believe in the power of God, and I'm a man of faith, and I'll go out because you said it, then he would have been just really stoked when the fish came in, and like, yes, me and Jesus, you know. <laughs> but you know what he saw? He saw that heart. Like, oh, man, I'm <laughs> Jesus, you know, I'm a boat, you know, are you a fisherman? This is, my, this is my profession. I am the fisherman of Galilee. And what do you, you know, you're embarrassing me. <laughs> and then, boom. I, I don't know if he said all those words. Do you understand I'm just being a little dramatic to make the point? And the point is, he sees his heart. He sees Jesus do a miracle, and that miracle showed him his heart of unbelief and pride. Has God done that with you? Probably more than once if you've been walking with him. And so Peter Peter knows it's Jesus. They all know. And what did Jesus say that first time that would be so in their minds right now? Don't be afraid. From now on, what? He'll make you to be fishers of men. And so Jesus hasn't given up. But here's something that is happening. They get to shore and breakfast is there. It's this whole provision, clarity direction, clarity, overcoming of their personal frustration, clarity. How many of you, and i actually like you to raise your hand so I'll know if you could. How many of you understand the term spoiled for the world? Raise your hand. Foiled for the world. See, it's not. I, I figured everybody knew it and I was going to rush through it, but now this will take three hours. You should have raised your hand. No, I'm kidding. I'm going to do what I was going to do and it won't take that long. I love to scare people. So, Observe, Peter, if you Google spoiled for the world, you won't find it. That term, you won't find it by Googling. You'll find spoiled by the world and children of millionaires and billionaires that have uh, a million-dollar clothing get-ups and stuff and ridiculousness for four-year-olds and all this foolishness. Uh, You won't see spoiled for the world. It, it, It really is what's happened to these guys. See, what they always knew, what they always did well in their own effort They go back to. But now it's frustrating. It's fruitless. It's uninspired. And it's joyless. Okay? If you're a note taker, it's frustrating. It's fruitless. It's uninspired. And it's joyless. Was this experience necessary for them? I think so. When Jesus first reveals himself to a person, to us, sometimes, a lot of times, people get really excited. We're excited because he's real. He loves me. That cross is for me, and, and the spirit comes into your life, and you know it. And even might, he might even make changes in you that are immediate and dramatic. You know, when I got saved, I was in a, it's funny how they say, marijuana, you can't get addicted. <laughs> that's it Well, what is it? if you're talking about addiction where your body goes through automatic changes that you know put you into uh, you know throwing up or vibrating or something okay maybe not but you know you can get addicted to your favorite tv show that you go through bummer and depression if you don't see it if you miss it you can get addicted to a certain food you like you can get addicted do you know what i'm saying by addicted i'm not saying an actual physical full on heroin addiction but I was addicted in the way that you'd be addicted to a lot of things to my my marijuana habit. So you can't tell me you're not. You know, yes, I could not go. I could go without a day of it, but I would not be happy. I couldn't enjoy life without my high. And I was looking forward to the next one. That was kind of what my life was becoming when the Lord saved me. But the day I got saved, the smell of marijuana, which was around a lot then you know it made me sick i hated it yeah if only he took my appetite for pizza away at the same time if only he took my anger and pride away listen if only he took my anger and pride and selfishness away at the very same time huh what if everything went i'm just jesus in a in a in a a rick cohen body that didn't happen completely did it to anybody he could take away a bunch of stuff and change your life dramatically, but he hasn't really dealt with you completely, and you haven't learned to walk and shed the old man and walk in newness of life. He'll do great things for you, but he's going to make you learn to walk. And so when Jesus, it's exciting, but not everything automatically changes or comes easy. Easy. It doesn't mean God doesn't love you because that person changed dramatically in that way and you haven't. They've got something else to deal with. And you have something to deal with. And there could come a day where it's gone. Hallelujah. But you may battle a battle. Perhaps God knows that you need to have a thorn in your flesh for your whole life that you have to um, battle so that you will stay humble And so that you will seek his face and and sense him and know him and have compassion for others. I don't have the book that says I know what you need on that level. I'm not responsible to tell you exactly how that's going to work in your life. I am responsible to point your attention to that reality. And then you get to deal with it and I get to deal with it, don't we? And if you're in a battle, there's some things about that that maybe will help you by the time we're done. But in true conversion... It, it really, what happens is, and what will really help keep the frustration level lower, it won't disappear' automatically, but it's to understand that you've been spoiled for the world, you can't go back and just everything's the way it was and you and this is frustration here's joyless frustration in Christianity is this: adding Jesus to your life. What do you mean? Shouldn't I add Jesus to my life? no? When I first got saved, I didn't know I wasn't adding Jesus to my life. I didn't know that. But soon I started to learn from Bible study that I was to give what I was doing and learning and what was going to make me be filled with joy and take me out of frustration was not adding Jesus to my life. He's not an extra pitching wedge you put in your golf bag. So if you get stuck in the sand in a particular way, you pull out your pitching wedge, the one that's the extra one that you bought to add to your gain. We're not adding Jesus to our lives. And when you try to add Jesus to your life, you are a frustrated Christian. It's when you give your life to Jesus. I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, Paul said. The life I live, Christ lives in me, and the life that I live is not me, but it's Christ living in me. Well, you don't learn that in a day. I'm still learning it now. So are some of you. But I know that's the issue. The issue isn't to add a little bit more of Jesus. He's not a little bit of salt. He's not a little bit of anything. He's everything. Or he's nothing. And so, this issue uh, becomes clear to you, maybe not immediately, but there's no inspired or joyful place to go back to once you've seen it, once you've tasted the Lord. And it becomes frustrating and fruitless when you try to live the old life. Now listen, it can be lonely. You're now living, you're on the same planet, you're in the same house, you walk the same streets, you have the same car, if you have a car, you go to the same job, you just got saved, and you're, and, and salvation has really taken hold of you, and, but you're in a different world than you used to be in. It's like you're from another planet. And sometimes that's how people look at you if you give them any indication, too. And, and, and so it can be lonely because other people haven't moved into that realm. They're still in the same world they were in the day you got saved. But you're in a different world. And when you identify that, and when you start to walk in that, it can get lonely. And you can realize that the, the temptation to go backwards and avoid challenges may be there. And you may stumble in it sometime, but you'll never be satisfied. God has spoiled you for the world. And if you can be totally satisfied going back, maybe you never made it full measure. <laughs> you know. So, so maybe that's the issue that needs to happen in a life. But is there a choice to avoid God's call? Well, just ask Abraham. Here's our map. As you're looking at the screen, you can see that over here is Mesopotamia, down here below. Up here is Haran. Over here is Canaan. All right? You with me? Abraham is told, leave your father and your mother and your family and go to the land that I will show you. Stephen tells us in his Acts chapter 7 speech that Moses, that Moses, he's coming. Abraham, that Abraham took his father, it tells us in the story in Genesis, he took his father and his nephew Lot, right? Does that sound like leaving your father and your mother and, and your family? No, so he didn't really fully obey. He added God's word to his life. <laughs> I mean, he was on the journey. He was really doing it, but he was doing it with delay with delay and uh, um, detour. And he goes to Haran, and you know how long Stephen? What Stephen lets us know is that it was 25 years that he spent in Haran. It wasn't the land God showed him. Now, I don't know if God had been telling him a lot of things or said, yeah, I'll I'll show you the rest of it after you leave your family. His dad dies. And when his dad dies, then he goes the rest of the way to Canaan. But he still has Lot with him, and that worked out swimmingly. Okay. So Abraham detoured and delayed, but he did get there. Moses. I mean, Moses. Moses, Moses, he's our man. If he can't do it, no one can Moses jumped immediately at 40 years old. Okay, I'm a Jew. These are my Jews, Jewish brethren. My Hebrew. They weren't called Jews yet, actually. And he just jumps in and kills the Egyptian. And you know the story. And off he, he runs away. It's all chaos. And he loses so, all confidence. All confidence. I mean, he's talking to a burning bush that's not disintegrating. God is speaking to him out loud, and he knows it and the entire conversation is an argument. The entire conversation. So much so that God says, all right, fine. I'll send Aaron to speak for you since you are so lame about this and fighting me so hard. Moses lost confidence. Abraham detoured and delayed, and David, David got tired in the battle. You know Saul had just come to try to kill him for the last time. It's when he takes, it's not in the cave, it's the next time where he takes the jug and the spear when Saul's sleeping. I'm not going to tell you the whole story, but the point is, is that Saul says, David, you're a better man than I, I'm gonna, I'm, God bless you. And Saul goes away and it says, Saul never chased David again. But right after that comes, um, in chapter 1 Samuel 27, David, the immediate next thing that happens is David's just sitting there thinking about all his struggle and his battle and he doesn't believe Saul's words and you can understand that but he also needs, it's not about believing Saul it's not about believing Saul it's about believing God see we get hung up about people's words to us and they control our lives they control our emotions and our psyche You know, it's about, not about whether you can believe another person, although there's boundaries for that. It's about believing God. And David is not believing God. He says, there's nothing better for me than that I should escape to be with the Philistines. What? Well, that's what discouragement will do to you. It'll put you on a path that's really, I mean, he went from the frying pan to the fire. And he was able to connive and scheme, and he had to do that and lie to keep himself intact. Well, do, you think David had, do you think David had any joy during that period of time? You can read about it. Do you think his life was filled with the joy of the Lord? He's going in this direction that is not God. But God doesn't leave him there. God mercifully delivers him. So will God keep you from spoiling in the world? The frontier of your bulletin's in King James for a reason. I remembered, because I grew up on King James and all those cool ways it says things, you know, that would be hard to read regularly, but it's great for checking out. So check this out. In Judges 2, this is not an easy section, but in Judges, where the people are rebelling against God after, after Joshua, and one generation away from Joshua... And the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. That never sounds good, does it? <laughs> and he delivered them into the hand of what? Spoilers. That spoiled them. And he, which a the, uh, modern translation would be plunderers, or another translation, but it, King James, spoilers. And they spoiled them, and he sold them into the hands of their enemies around them. That means he allowed them to go into trouble that they were already creating for themselves. So they could not any longer stand before their enemies. Nevertheless. In the Old Testament, nevertheless, is like in the New Testament, but God, in Ephesians 3, right? So nevertheless, the Lord raised up judges, which delivered them out of the hand of those who spoiled them. They were going round in circles, from from sin, to suffering, to supplication, crying out to God, to salvation. And once they got healed again and strengthened again, they went right back to sin and suffering and supplication, and salvation, and sin, and suffering, and and, and, and round and round and around she goes, and God knew when it would stop, and what to do. God took Israel. You know, things may look rotten in your life, spoiled, but God is no quitter, and he proved it to you through Israel. We believe strongly. You get to believe whatever you believe about this, and I have good brethren that I love, and we are close, but I disagree with them Four million percent on this they think that israel is done as an issue of god's working through nations and for his eternal purpose that they did their job or failed at their job and now it's only the church and, and and israel doesn't really matter in prophetic it's it's not an issue i completely disagree and one of the reasons that are every reason but um god's promises to israel are intact that's why they're a nation again. Not because they're better than other people and they do everything right. That's not the point we're making. They belong to God and he's proving to you that he can keep his promise to people who blow it. Who mess up. Who get spoiled. And so there's way more to that but that's a whole Bible study or 10. So, so things may look rotten in your life but God is not a quitter. He's not giving up on you. So how do we walk? Do we have a choice to avoid God's call? Well, we saw the great men of God do it. Will God keep you from spoiling in the world? Well, he delivered them, and he delivered Israel, and he'll deliver you. And, and it's a good thing you can't be completely satisfied going backwards. That's a really good thing. If you can, there's something wrong. There's something missing in your salvation deeply. And you should humble yourself and get help. I don't need you to do anything. This isn't for me. This is for you. If this is you, you need to get help and figure out if you've really grabbed a hold of salvation and let people stand with you and encourage you and redirect you because you're not making it on your own and you're susceptible. And if you're wise, you'll take instruction. So, will God keep you from spoiling in the world? We just read it. The New Testament says it a lot nicer. Paul says, He who began a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. He'll complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. So how do we walk in newness of life? The third question. Do we have a choice? Will God keep you from spoiling? But how do we choose to walk in newness of life and not draw back? Well, in Philippians 3, we'll read in a minute, Paul talks about how he really didn't add Jesus to his life, but had a total conversion and a complete turnaround, and gave all things lost for the excellency of knowing Christ. We'll get to that again in a minute. But but when you count or rule all things lost for Christ, what does that mean for you? Um, I'll read 6 and 7 to you. 7 and 8, I'm sorry, right in the middle of the page, on the back page. But what things were gained to me, things I have counted lost for Christ. Yes, indeed, Yet, indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. You know, I do know that uh, um, we are not all uh, seeing ourselves living up to Paul's kind of high standard. You know, he said, follow me as I follow Christ. And we are often, and I am, saying to Paul, could you wait up a minute? Could could you backtrack a little bit? You're way ahead of me, and I'm losing, you know, it's hard to keep up with you. Okay, is that okay? We say that. You know, you've never said those words, but now you have them to say. All right. So, what does that mean for you? If you're working at a job, does that mean you should go in Monday, quit your job, and go to Africa as a missionary? Yes! There's a sign-up sheet. No. (laughs) Either help at the Passover or VBS or go to Africa. But you have to do one of those. (laughs) Not at all. does it mean you should, you know, for some people, that might be what God's telling them to do. You know, the right side, where's the right side of the boat? You know, but but for Peter, he was called to be an apostle and, and those men with him. And God had a plan for them that we'll see unfold in his kindness and grace. He's not angry and frustrated with them. He's working with them. And we'll see that next week in in his specific message to Peter about the things that matter. But, but, But that picture in the boat shows us that you can be fruitful right where you are. But if you're not, if you are frustrated and fruitless and uninspired and joyless, I think you can ask God give me joy all day long i don't mean to be offensive at the way i say things is offensive but again give me joy give me joy give me joy no if i don't have joy i need to kind of backtrack and find out where joy in the lord not joy in fishing just cuz i like fishing you know not just fun and a sprinkle of happiness here and there and laughter joy that satisfaction and fruitfulness, sensing the inspiration of God in my life, then then I need to look back and see, am I not hearing the Lord and following the path that he really has for me? It doesn't mean you're evilly intending anything. It just means you need to hear from God. You need to hear from God. And not just hear from him, but be willing to hear whatever he wants to tell you. Because the right side of the boat is whatever God tells you. And he does speak. And it may take some time, but that would be a mission for you and for me. You know, how many missionaries, those of you who are working or used to work at a place, was it like, when you went to work... There were so many Christians with t-shirts and preaching on break and holding Bible studies that you couldn't get a word in edgewise. Is that how it's been? Is that how it's like at your job? Like, man, there's Christians everywhere. I need to go someplace else where there's no Christians so that I can be useful. Or do you find that there's very few and very few who establish a strong witness, whatever that means, because there's a lot of ways to do that, you know, without being just obnoxious and preaching at everybody constantly. But how is it with you? in your neighborhood, etc. So there's lots of missionaries needed right where we are, but we need to get on the right side of the boat. And you can be fruitful with adjustments. You know, this revelation of Jesus, hearing from Jesus, obeying his direction, how are you going to know? And, 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 and what about when people say, well, what do you want me to do, man? I mean, I got to work, I got to eat, I got to live, I got to take care of my family, I got things to do. Nobody's suggesting that you don't there's there's a there's a really obscure verse i don't think you've ever probably heard it it goes something like this all the nations in the world seek after these things but you seek first the kingdom of god and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you have you has anybody here ever heard that one yeah seek ye first the kingdom of god so, you know what that goes with? Matthew six nineteen through 21, where Jesus said, don't store up treasures for yourself on earth. He didn't mean don't have anything. The issue is what's your treasure. Don't store up for yourself treasures on earth where moths can eat it, thieves can steal it, and the salt on the road will turn your fancy car into a pile of dirt where, where rust can corrode it. But store up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where those things can't happen. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where your treasure is, for some people, and I'm not the things I'll pick out here do not point to you shouldn't watch TV at all. You shouldn't check on this or that. You shouldn't have any other interests but Jesus. That's not the point. But I mean, the week is a bummer if they miss Dancing with the Stars. The DVR didn't work. Ah, what am I going to do? You know, like, that's a big deal. Isn't that one of the shows that people, like, you hear them talk about? It used to be, whatever show it is. Used to, American Idol's. like, that was, uh, you get with Christians, and it was like, it was so funny, Idol. <laughs> you know, it's like, and Christians are so excited. I understand about singing and talent and all that, but, but like, your whole world collapses if they don't, I mean, because that's where your treasure is. It's like, what time is it? i got to get home. <laughs> careful no no so some of us it's you, you get up in the morning you pull out your phone and check you know the sports page because it's your team we don't have very many of you in here in this room but for others it's okay the financial page because your stock for where your treasure is there where you're, it's the immediate thing you check on it's what's on your mind is it wrong to do those things i'm not making that's not the point the point is what is the treasure of your life obviously on the human level there are treasures god tells us to have This right here, this woman here is the treasure of my life, humanly. But together, together, (laughs) welcome, hon. But we're fixing to go on down and together we make God our treasure in the kingdom. When we're doing right, it's it's not our house, though we fix it up. And um, it's not stuff. Is it our children, our grandkids? Of course that's treasure. But on the other hand, all of that focusing in a direction, Um, every day is is an investment day for you. Every day you're going. Everybody here is going to get 24 hours on Monday. You know, it was a guy taught, and there's people who say they do the three T's: your time, your treasure, and your talent. You know, the three T's: time, treasure, and talent. Investing in the kingdom. And, and that's really true. And, but I want to include a fourth, and it doesn't have a T. Maybe you'll think of a T for me, but it's, it's your passion or your emotion. You see, because behind all these things that we get excited about means that we place emotion. We make emotional investments. And we don't just make emotional investments the way we're supposed to with people we love that God's ordained us to give emotional investment. We make other emotional investments. Our culture is extremely sick. And you know, it's hurting. And emotion is flowing. And emotion is being invested along with time and treasure and talent. You know, you, emotion, is not, emotion is not the engine of your car that runs you all over the place, you know, you hold the keys more than you know sometimes there are things, is there ever a time that you grieve and you're sad and it's overwhelming, of course there is that's why it talks about grieving weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice but if the pattern are you listening, if the pattern of your life if the pattern of your life is that your emotions control you and drive you wherever they want you to go, it's time to acknowledge that that's not right. It's actually time to acknowledge, and I, I know I could get flack for this, not necessarily from you, but if people, there are people that will be offended by this, but to acknowledge that it's sin. It's sin. I can't help it. I just have to be this way. I just am this way. I've always been this way. Everything that's happened to me makes me... It doesn't mean that I should be uncompassionate towards a person who's struggling and try to help them. I should. But it does mean that I, when I'm struggling and emotions are completely in control, I have to stop. You'd be surprised how quick it'll change when you identify it as sin. Because you are investing all your treasure in how you feel. It's your God. You are actually able to say, I know I feel this way completely, but it's not everything I am. Jesus Christ is my Lord. And I'm going to turn this moment of emotion towards you, Lord, and invest in you here. Listen, we can do this. But you also need help sometimes, don't you? I have needed help with this. I don't claim to be Mr. Perfect. But if I was trapped in an emotion that I couldn't change, and it was dominating my life, I would get help. I would be humble and honest before people, somebody, not everybody. I wouldn't tell you all about it and make you all confused about your pastor. (laughs) But I would deal with it because I need to deal with it. Make investments that are spiritual. Make investments that are emotionally proper. Make investments of time and treasure and talent, certainly. And you've done that here. It's why when you look at our financial statement, you'll be amazed at what we've been able to do here. It really doesn't make a whole lot of sense. It's been wonderful. But if I was going to suggest to you some investment, don't stop giving. (laughs) But on the other hand... Let me, as a church family, let me say one thing before we close as a church family. If you've been here, how can you move to the right side of the boat? Um, There's ways you could do it that have nothing to do with this gathering, okay? I understand that you have a life outside of this church. I want you to have a life outside of this church. I hope you have a life outside of this church building. You know, I hope you're really connected, but I hope that you're able to be fruitful out there because that's where you live daily. On the other hand, as 2016 unfolds, our New Year's in its end of February. <laughs> but, you know, aside from that message that's in the, in the uh, document you can pick up today, I would say that, if, that maybe you should think about this. Have you been coming to this church for three years, five years, eight years, ten years, and you've never been to a prayer meeting? Maybe you need to cast your net on the right side of the boat. Maybe just once or twice in the whole year. Or maybe once a quarter. Like I know people are busy. But that would to me, it's very interesting that uh, people can be around for so long and never join a prayer meeting, ever. So I would suggest that if your life is inspired and joyful and fruitful, things are going well, then, for, then you don't have to listen to me. But if they're not, if you're looking for how to cast your net, there's a place to cast your net on the right side of the boat. Maybe you say, I'm going to study the word, I'm going to study the word, and you never, get to, you never do study the word, and you, you know you need to get a little deeper. Maybe, maybe once a quarter this year, you come to a Wednesday night Bible study. I don't mean every week, I don't mean even once a month, I don't, once a quarter you say, you know, I'm going to do that. I'm going to block out a time in the future that I'm going to actually do that because I want to get into the word. These are, these are within the church realm. I understand what I'm ta- that you know, oh, you're trying to get us all. The, you know, you get to think whatever you want about me. I'm thinking about you. Amen. I'm thinking about what it means to be a part of the body of Christ and engaged. And I'm thinking about the floundering that happens for people and the struggles that just repeat over and over and over again. They don't all get fixed because you come to a prayer meeting. They don't all get fixed because you come to a Bible study. But I'm talking about a little different thinking about like, what am I, where am I casting my net? How are you doing at work? Are you doing the same thing all the time and getting the same result and you haven't changed anything about the way you deal with it? Cast your net on the other side of the boat. Do you get what I'm saying? It's broader than what happens in this church. But I'm not going to be shy. I have to, you know, it is not, you've heard me say this a lot, sorry, I'm going to say it again. I don't care who gets to be president. It's not going to get easier in this world to follow Jesus. It's not going to get easier. You need the support of the You need to know how to navigate spiritually, and you need to know how to make investments in your own destiny. And I don't know where that lays for you, or where that lays down for you, or where it lays out for you, but I hope your ears aren't closed, that you're just, I'm this way, and this is just how I am. That is also sin. Nobody cares that you're just that way. And people care about you and they love you. God cares about you and loves you. But he didn't save you to be just that way. Now, you don't have to be just like me, thank God, or just like the person next to you. But are you listening for the Lord to say, we need to make some changes here? Or is it just status quo because you're comfortable? Because you're not comfortable. You're probably frustrated fruitless or somewhat fruitless, uninspired and joyless. All I'm saying is I want people to have joy. (laughs) So you find where that goes for you. It doesn't have to be the way I see it, but open your heart. And I want to ask you to do one more thing. Stand with me. And we're going to read together out loud verses 7 and 8 in the middle of the back page. And then we'll pray these things in. And I thank you for your attention and your patience. And I always pray that God would wash away anything I've said that's just judgmental, uh, self-righteous, non-gracious, and overbearing. And I pray that if it's absolutely right, that it will haunt you and you can't get away from it. And it will haunt you long after you leave this building and you'll be miserable till you deal with it. Just so you know how your pastor prays for you. He thought I was just going to stay there. All right. Together, verse 7. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yes, indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ. Folks, that's where the joy is. Whatever you do, don't believe the lie that tells you there's no joy there. I need to find joy. This is burdensome. You're being lied to. Don't buy the lie. If you want joy, follow Jesus. Lay it all out before him go through that pain because that pain's better with a good end than the pain you're going through if you're resisting it. I guarantee you that the word of God does. Father, in Jesus'